Hello, everybody. I'm Phil Margavichis, and welcome to another episode of Funding MedTech brought to you by Project MedTech. Funding MedTech is an interview-style podcast focused on exploring ways to fund MedTech innovation. You will be hearing from all different kinds of funding vehicles and the how, why, and what they invest. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. For more information on Project MedTech and to sign up for our monthly newsletter, visit our website at www.projectmedtech.com and follow us on LinkedIn. If you are enjoying this content, don't forget to check out our other podcasts by searching Project MedTech on your favorite podcast platform or by heading to our website. Project MedTech is an interview-style podcast on the medtech industry where guests share stories, advice, pitfalls, trends, and innovations, and is released weekly on Monday. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the law firm of McDonald Hopkins. Building medtech companies the right way, based on great technology, is not a one-size-fits-all endeavor. McDonald Hopkins provides customized and proactive strategies that align clients' valuable medtech technology with their business goals. This, in turn, builds those clients into successful, thriving companies. With strong experience and depth in the startup, venture capital, intellectual property, and fundraising arenas, McDonald Hopkins can be an important part of your team to help you develop the medtech business that you envision. In this episode, Alan Davis at Biostar Capital and Rich Mazzola discuss the details, fund size, type, investment thesis, and check size of Biostar Capital. Today, I'm joined with Alan Davis over at Biostar Capital. Alan, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. So, so Alan, uh, you know, you're an MD. I'd love to get a little background on yourself and how you got into MedTech Venture Capital. So the MD part of it started first. Uh, I went to uh, Michigan State for undergrad, uh, Wright State down in Dayton for medical school. Did my orthopedic surgery training and foot and ankle ship fellowship training at the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, the, the venture part started actually back in medical school. Um, my best friend from medical school, other than my wife, who was a classmate also, make, make sure I correct that, uh, was uh, a guy named Louis Cannon. Uh, we met uh, 43 years ago, first day of med school. And then Louis started a, um, uh, a venture capital fund early 2000s. He's a cardiologist, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, and um, he found that he needed some expertise in the orthopedic world. Brought me in about uh, 2004. I started consulting, uh, caught the bug of entrepreneurship back then, and um, have been with Biostar basically ever since. And now we're on our fifth fund. Uh, congratulations, fifth fund. That's uh, you know we were talking to Bill Trainer a while ago, and he said uh, it's always good to uh, see multiple funds because that tells you it's a report card on your performance in the past. So how uh, so, so the size of the fund? Let's start there. I guess let's start with size. Five or fund five, but walk me through, you know, maybe where you guys started in the initial size of the fund and now where you're at. So the initial fund uh, was uh, 2004 and that was kind of a learning fund. Uh, and that was a fund where um, we tried to figure out where we were going to be and what we were going to do. And it was not even a fund where our same team is together. Now we actually had somebody else running that fund, teaching us the ropes. Biostar two was vintage 2008. And that was about a, uh, $36 million fund. Um, and we did incredibly well, even during tough 
uh, fundraising and financial times uh, back then. But what we learned from Fund One, going getting into Fund Two, was that we were we were really good at what we knew: orthopedics and cardiovascular. And in Fund Two, one of the reasons why we did extremely well was because we stuck with what we knew. Uh, we ended up with a tremendous amount of uh, physician investors, which uh, gave us some great insight into where the unmet clinical need was. And we would pivot off that into things that we thought that the companies needed that we could help them to acquire and then commercialize. So we stuck with that model uh, through Biostar uh, 3 and 4. And Biostar 5 now, which we just finished uh, our final close on, is a $130 million fund. Uh, which basically is larger than uh, two, three, and four combined. Uh, so we did well fundraising for the past two years. Um, we've uh, we've got uh, plenty of money to deploy. Uh, we are sticking with our model of uh, the uh, orthopedic and cardiovascular medical device world. We've also added robotics because that enables a lot of the cardiovascular and orthopedic uh, uh, device development and and. Uh, and roll out. So um, those are the three things that we're specializing in. Uh, those are that's what we know. Our physician base has stayed, uh, you know, the same, greater than a hundred physician investors. And then we've developed a group of uh, what we call medical venture partners, which are a, a dozen or so of our docs that um, are really able to do a significant amount of the diligence for us, bring us some good deal flow. Uh, and um, and help us with uh, FDA approvals, getting through, getting research sites opened up, and uh, all the kinds of things that that uh, boots on the ground really does help you with in this world. Talk about a due diligence powerhouse too, with all those physicians. I mean, you could tap into any one of them if there is a specialty or something they've worked on in the past. I would say that that's indeed our secret sauce. There it is. Yeah. So, so scouting for opportunities. So thesis wise, it, it sounds like orthopedic, um, I'll call tech enabled orthopedic as well, meaning you're getting into the robotic side of it for process improvement or surgery improvement and then vascular or cardiovascular. Yeah. Perfect. So, so stage, is there a stage you'd like to get introduced to these opportunities? Is there a, you know, maybe a, a step in development where it's a, a good fit or a good starting point for an intro? Well, we're generally not going to be in a seed stage. Uh, we would like to get in at an A round um, where there's uh, at least uh, somewhere close to a design freeze. Uh, and um, we, don't, uh, we don't mind having it uh, pre-FDA. Most of our companies are going to sell pre-revenue uh, so that um, uh, you know, our, our model would be to get in early. And because we have such a strong physician base, to help the companies uh, and nurture them through their, their development process. So we will help them get to design freeze if they're not there. Uh, we'll help them to create the best management team around the device uh, uh, that we can. We'll get them input from our strong physician base on, on whether or not the device they're working on will have uh, uh, the potential for universal adoption. And we can talk about that a little bit uh, more, I'd like to, in a minute. Um, we, we like to look at what the FDA process will be and, and, and map that out real well. And then and just move the company along in the different stages of development. And oftentimes when we invest in a company, we know uh, from a strategic acquirer standpoint who's going to need it in their bag to, to, to remain competitive in that world too. So 
those are kind of the things that we look for. We will invest in a company um, later on. We don't like to be in the B and C rounds, but we will go later. And a lot of times that will come from the strategics where, where they will be looking at something. Uh, they, wa- they will want our validation of it because of all of our, our physicians that are involved. And we'll come in late on something like that and, and, uh, and then still be able to, to help them get to a finish line also. Yeah, basically doubling down and kind of putting your money where your mouth is, more or less. Yeah. So, um, from a from a you know an off thesis perspective, right? So you talk about where they're at in development, where they're at, and you're and you're, talk, you're trying to wrap around some of the weak spots of maybe the company or, or the opportunity itself. And so, where do you find uh, BioStar provides the most value, right? Because it's not just capital, right? You, you're you're kind of coming in as a strategic partner. Uh, with the investment. So what is typically the thing you, you inject into companies in terms of value beyond just the money? Well, I think first and foremost, um, because we are so uh, physician influenced, we start with the patient. So we want to make sure that uh, a, a device uh, being developed is going to solve an unmet clinical need. We look for it to be transformational in nature. We don't really want to invest in things that are just iterations. Um, we want to be able to bring that clinical value and move the healthcare frontier forward with, with things that we invest in. And so the value that we bring to the companies, uh, uh, other than a check, is that clinical validation that this is something that is going to be unique in nature uh, that, that can really make a difference in patients' lives. And yet, because we do have to get a good return to our LPs, we want to make sure that it's something that can be commercialized uh, in, in such a way that it's going to be profitable by somebody that, that acquires us. And so, you know, we look to hold a company for about three to five years uh, in, in the ideal investment for us. Um, and um, the thing that I mentioned before about uh, adoption, we, we look for devices that the, as much as I hate to phrase it this way, that the average physician can use. So, you know, having practiced for, for over 30 years, uh, and let's, I'm going to say that I wasn't the most gifted physician in the world. So I'm, I'm really good at being able to assess um, what somebody in that middle of the bell-shaped curve can use. So I watched around me uh, several of my partners, especially at the Cleveland Clinic, that were incredibly gifted. You could put anything in their hands and they could use it. Uh, But there's a large group in the middle uh, that if trained properly uh, and and the right devices put in their hands can really make a difference in in patient care. And we really want to center our focus and, and, and our attention at those, you know, that an easy use device uh, for patient care is something that we're going to really invest in. So, so I want to dive a little deeper into the commercialization there. So I think a lot of startups and a lot of founders, they focus on the VAC committee, right? I just got to get through the VAC committee and it's, it's in the hospital, right? It's great. It takes forever, but I, I get there. I think what you're doing is a step further than that. And you're saying I need clinician adoption to help push that through the VAC committee in the other direction. Is that fair? It's absolutely fair. Listen, I was on the new products committee uh, at the Cleveland Clinic, and I can tell you that nothing's getting in that hospital unless there's a reasonable representation of physicians uh, who will uh, adopt uh, the device that you're bringing in. We don't need to bring in uh, a single device for a single physician at a big institution or enterprise like the Cleveland Clinic. 
we've got to have something that everybody in the department really wants to use within that subspecialty. So I, th I think, um, you know, to get into a big healthcare system or really into any anywhere, you, you have to have a champion. And that champion, uh, you know, has to have some followers. And that's really the only way you're going to get into the into the healthcare systems with a with a device. And, you know, it's got to be cost effective. Uh, it's got to be something that's, uh, you know, that we can get to all 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 people. Uh, and um, um, and I think that the, the it, it's it's not so much uh, that that something has to be just unique, but it, it's 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 got to meet all the other criteria also. Yeah, it, you know, at Project Bad Tech, we're always educating. There's really two stage gates to the commercialization plan. There's the VAC side, right, which is there used to be two pathways into a hospital system. One is cost savings and the other is additional revenue generation via reimbursement. Um, the, the cost savings kind of has gone to the wayside as hospitals focus more on top line. And then the second is actually patient satisfaction, physician improvement and efficiency, you know, outcomes. And so, you know, what you guys are doing is really starting with that second and working your way to the first, which makes a ton of sense. So um, switching gears a little bit back to the fund, you know, the Goldilocks range of check size and valuations for you, obviously the $130 million fifth fund is a little different for maybe funds two, three, and four. So where were your check sizes and valuation ranges? And now today with the new fund, where are those at? Well, I think we think of it more as, as, uh, the ability to put no more than 10% of the, of the fund into any one company. So the reason why we went to a bigger fund is because we felt that many of the investments that we made, uh, we, if we would have had a bigger fund, we could have made a bigger impact and then had greater multiples, so to speak. So I think, uh, you know, whereas when, when we had a $70 million fund, we were going to put five to seven in a company. Now that we have a, a hundred and thirty million dollar fund. We're looking, you know, at putting ten to twelve million in per company, uh, if if the, the company merits that kind of investment. So, uh, you know, basically that's where we're at right now. Um, we don't necessarily put all the money in up front. If if we're if we're getting in at an A round, and and we uh, project that the company is going to need several follow on rounds, we'll save enough in reserve uh, to be able to uh, contribute along the way. Um, you know, if we're getting in late, we may we may put a lot more up front. So that's how we kind of look at it right now with magnitude of investment. And, you know, because you're approaching it in that Series A stage, you probably avoid convertibles. Sounds like you're more or less in the price rounds only. Well, it just depends. You know, the, the, the terms of each and every deal are going to be different. And so, uh, you know, we will lead rounds. Uh, you know, we we don't have to lead rounds, but no, no matter what we do, uh, we will um, we will be active investors, uh, you know, in a space that we know, uh, helping to, to to nurture and develop the company along each stage. So, so thesis wise, again, your cardiovascular, orthopedic. Um, has there been a time where BioStar has invested in something that's maybe not in that thesis range? Yes. Uh, um, sometimes it's been because we've, uh, we've pivoted or salvaged a company, uh, and we've been able to repurpose it, um, to, uh, avoid a loss. So that's been one strategy that we've used. Um, uh, there have been times when it's been more tangential. For instance, we had an incredible exit from a company called Sensionics, which is basically a continuous, uh, 
glucose monitor. It's implantable. Um, but they wanted us in that deal because of all of our cardiovascular uh, specialists. Um, you know, it was a diabetic play, but, you know, somewhat tangential to what we do just because of the overlap in, in, in uh, clinical entities. So uh, we have uh, we have gone uh, uh, to the edge of, of, uh, of things at times uh, for those two reasons. But for the most part, we do best uh, with with the things that we know the best. And, you know, when you look at those deals, especially in the off thesis environment, we, you know, we always say team problem, then solution, I guess, is there uh, some intangible attributes that you're paying attention to, whether it's in the founder or the product or the, the market, I guess, what are those things you, you, you and your investment team really like? Well, we have, um, we have a pretty uh, strict um, requirement list that our, that our due diligence team goes through not only from the initial screening process, but, but also, uh, you, you know, uh, as, as we look at anything that might be slightly uh, um, on the edge of what we might invest in. And we like to say that, you know, we have a, a, a core group of, uh, of uh, uh, attributes that we want to see with respect to, to uh, a company that we're, we're looking at investing in. And we really want to check all the boxes. Um, uh, so, you know, again, we always start with the patient. Uh, we always want to try to solve an unmet clinical need. Um, and so all the things that I've mentioned before, um, you know, we want to check all those boxes. And then when it comes to the management team, uh, you know, of a company, we look at that, uh, you know, with an incredible amount of scrutiny, scrutiny and, and, and see, you know, what that management team has done historically. Uh, whether or not they're they're living within their level of expertise in the company, you know how they've how they've burned through capital up until the time when 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 we take a look at them, and so so we we spend a lot of time looking at the CEO and the team that the CEO has put together, and just make sure that um, you know that we are um, satisfied with with the way the company is is being run. So from a diligence side, it, it's really looking at uh, market risk, operational risk, uh, which includes the financing risk. Um, and then where does, I guess, your due diligence process go from there? Do you, do you like to dive down any rabbit holes outside of those two categories? Yeah, I mean, we have, we have really, we think all the bases covered. So um, you know, we take a strong look at the IP. You know, we have one of, our, uh, one of our directors who has his IP certification. Um, one of our managing uh, uh, directors is a previous CEO of Boston Scientific, so he can look at a management team as, as, as well as anybody. Um, and, and so um, we'll, we will dive down every rabbit hole. We'll, we'll always visit the company physically and, and, and meet the people uh, on the ground, um, do an on-site visit. Um, so I don't, I don't think we leave any bases uncovered, but where we're unique is after we go through the initial screening process and check all the boxes, uh, then we bring it, uh, so that would be our diligence team that does that. Then we bring it to our managing partners uh, on, on a weekly cadence. Uh, we'll look through it. And then if it passes that group, what we'll do is we will have the, the company present to all of our medical venture partners and physicians uh, who have a subspecialty uh, with with what whatever we're looking at, and the companies take a pretty good beating on that on that presentation because they get a lot more clinical questions than they would with with any other group. 
but and then we have our business group, you know, that will will dive deep into the business aspect of the company. If it passes that test, then it'll go to our our uh, our uh, management committee, and then we'll start really diving hard on the numbers. We'll look at the business plan. We'll look at how much money the company is going to need and how long uh, they will need to get to an exit. And then if it still passes that test, you know, now we're down to less than 0.1% of, of what we look at, then we'll put a term sheet together. And when we put a term sheet together, we're really going to uh, uh, illustrate to the company what our value can be and, and, and what we can bring beyond just the dollars. And, and um, you know, oftentimes they will, they will really like that and want to give us some management carve-out units or, or extra options. And We'll generally have a scientific advisory board that our docs can be part of, and and then we'll also um, oftentimes be either part of the the board or an observer on the board, and and again, be very very active investors. So that's that's kind of our process from initial diligence to uh, you know the potential for an investment. I like that second meeting. That's when uh, theory hits reality, right? <laughs> Everything you've been planning for. So uh, before we kind of conclude on Biostar, the fund, and getting into more of the macro environment, what um, you know, in, in how does somebody get in touch with you? How does somebody reach out to you, especially if they're in the right fit or right right size, and we're uh, they're ready to fundraise? Uh, well, we certainly have a website, like everybody else these days. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, so um, yeah, I think anybody that's got anything that that's uh, within our within our alley, uh, feel free to contact me directly. Uh, they can obviously get through you my my email address. Uh, they can go to our website and contact us. Um, and um, uh, you know we're more than happy to look at anybody's ideas. Uh, and uh, if it's within our lane and we think it it, it has uh, some merit and and some ability to improve patient care, we'll we'll definitely take a deeper dive. Perfect. So moving more into the macro environment, then you know you guys had a fun during 2007, 2008, 2009, right? I'm sure that's that went in the beginning of this conversation, you mentioned a lumpy period uh, and you guys performed very well during that. Uh, today's environment's probably not mimicking that time, but uh, it's definitely lumpy right now. How has investment strategy changed from your perspective? Valuation discussions changed? I mean, I've talked about this a lot, but there's been a, a pretty strong pivot away from priced rounds these days to kick that valuation can. So has Biostar's investment strategy or how they negotiate deals with specific terms changed between the couple funds? Well, we haven't changed because our model worked and has worked, you know, uh, like you said, during not dissimilar times back in 2007, 8, 9. So, you know, we're really not subject to the public markets. Uh, healthcare is, is separate. Medical device is separate. People are unfortunately not getting any healthier and, and, and so healthcare really doesn't go away. So we don't feel like our model needs to change with respect to what we're looking at and, and things of that nature. Um, I think anytime money is tight, it does drive valuations down. And, and we're going to be opportunistic uh, when, it, when it comes to something like that. Uh, and so um, we've, we've done well in these times being able to... Uh, you know, maybe correct sometimes an overinflated market. Uh, and, um, and I think that's fair to everybody. Um, and so I, I don't, I don't think our thesis has changed. Um, I, I do think that we do, we can and do get better deals now 
um, when, when and if money is not tight, you know, we may have to change back again. But I think that's the only thing from a macro environment that, uh, you know, that we look at right now as being the only, only change. Okay. From a, from a collaboration, you said you, you, you're willing to lead, but you don't have to lead. So how uh, co-investment, collaboration with other funds, with other networks, how does that work for Biostar and your team? Well, we've had great relationships and syndicates with a lot of players a lot larger than us. So I think we're well known. Uh, people like us because of our strong physician base to validate uh, medical technology and, and how it can be applied uh, to patients. Uh, so, um, you know, we have worked very well uh, with with uh, other investors uh, and um and other syndicates and have great relationships and, and also have great relationships with the acquirers. Uh, so we have easy access to the C-suites uh, and, um, you know, we just, we play in our own little niche. Um, we know what we know. Uh, we, we play with people that we know. And, and um, you know, again, we're keeping the patient uh, centered at the focus of everything. And so I think that you know, makes it much more straightforward for us in our diligence process and the ability to evolve technology. And, and kind of switching gears again on you, you know, I want to focus a little bit on the exit because I think, you know, our conversations with a lot of our clients have been moving more towards you got to focus on the exit. You don't have to figure out everything in between, but focusing on the exit and working your way back is imperative to doing this the right way. You know, in terms of that advice or that question, I guess how, how – as part of the initial screening process, as part of the discussions with these opportunities, how are you looking at those companies and saying, if they're not focused on the exit or haven't prepared for that yet, uh, is that a weak point for you to kind of commit to an investment then? Or is it maybe, hey, this is an area of weakness, but we can improve that or support them in that effort? Well, I, th I think it is a weakness if you don't know what your ultimate business plan is. Uh, so I think if you, if you have a very valuable, in our case, device, uh, and uh, you know where the, you know, the problem that you're solving. Um, most of the time when we uh, will make an investment, we'll know within two or three uh, acquires or two or three, what, like we call a shots on goal uh, of, of who really needs us in, in their bag. And so, and, and, and these companies, you know, have guidance that's out uh, that, that far, three to five years, which is, you know, what, what we, normally would like to hold a company. And so I think uh, you don't necessarily have to be 100% focused on, on, the, on the exit, but you do have to know how you're going to get there. And I think even, even as equally important as to who, who needs you down the road. So, um, you know, there are no secrets uh, who has what in their bag and who needs to be competitive in different spaces. And if you have if you have a device uh, that that is going to be important uh, for a strategic to have down the road, then you should know that and you should point in that direction to be able to make that device attractive to that strategic down the road. I mean, it's just good business. Yep, hundred percent. So, so coming up on the uh, twenty five minute mark, what uh, what's a uh, piece of advice you'd give entrepreneurs paying attention to you these days? especially if they're starting a new venture? Well, I think it's um, uh, focus your attention on, on the, you know, f first of all, you're in the medical space, you know, so if you're in the medical device space or, or whatever space you're in, recognize what space you're in 
stay in your lane and, and, you know, do what you know. And then when you're looking for money, make sure you go to those sources that are compatible with what, what you're trying to do. Right. So, you know, it, it's, it doesn't uh, make as much sense for me to just uh, to see people just blindly send their deck out to thousands of people. Cause I think that unvalidated uh, search for money, uh, most people are now um, not spending a lot of time with. So I think you should try to validate uh, um, your, your ability to go out and raise money and, and try to raise it uh, with people that maybe have the same sort of belief system in the mission that you're that you're trying to get to, and um, and and I think you just have a lot better results, and 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 you and you waste a lot, you know, less time doing it that way, as opposed to just you know sending out thousands of of decks on on uh, you know some service or something like that. So you're you're preaching to the choir over here. That's what we call good strategic money, right? It's you've done your research, you know who invests in this space and that fits your needs and. Uh, that's who you're targeting. And then there's neutral money and bad money. And of course, you want to stay away from the bad money. But yeah, exactly right. So uh, the only curveball question you're going to get today is what's a recent book you've read that you'd recommend to the audience? Oh, my goodness. Um, a lot of times I keep reading. I'm looking at my my shelf right there. Um, you know, um, what is the title of that? Where did it go? Oh, yeah. So... I think still my favorite book, and I'm not even sure which edition that they're on right now. There's a book called Venture Deals by uh, Brad Feld and Jason Mendelson. They might be on their like the third edition. Um, I think it is like the best book uh, for. Uh, oh, you know it. Obviously, you're smiling. Well, I'm, I'm. Is it? Is that the blue book? The blue cover. Uh, well, this is my, this is my ripped up one here. I, I've got it on Audible. I've got, I've got that yep. on my Kindle now. Um, yeah, so I love this book. I keep reading it and rereading it. Every time I read it, I, I, uh, there are guys from the University of Colorado that just, uh, you know, I think have just put a nice, uh, simple to read, nice playbook out there for, for venture deals and, and all the definitions and the, you know, the language that I had to learn getting into this. And, mm-hmm. and um, I, I just think they, they did a phenomenal job. My my son was uh, in law school out at uh, CU and he took a venture class from these guys and just said that they were the best. So that's my favorite book. I, I chuckle because uh, when I was getting into this space almost a decade ago, I, I someone said, oh, this is the first book you should read because it's the uh, it's the venture capitalist Bible. That's what they were worded as. So love it. Yeah. And it's, it's withstood, you know, all the, all mm-hmm. the, the, this time. So, uh, yeah. And I, and they keep updating it, which I think is great too. Absolutely. Well, Alan, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Alan Davis is LinkedIn. His profile will be in the show notes and we'll include the, uh, website link for Biostar Capital. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you need anything from us, you can contact us at info at projectmedtech.com. And for more information on Project MedTech, visit our website at www.projectmedtech.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.